Here's the big question this show answers. How do we leverage technology and human science to positively impact our personal and professional life? The tech human experience has the answer. Here's your host, Inc. 5000 tech founder, neuroscience junkie, and Navy SEAL wannabe, Javier Guerra. Hello, tech humans. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for a multi-billion dollar retail and finance company, an accomplished cybersecurity strategist who has built comprehensive security programs for numerous organizations. In his spare time, he enjoys investing quality time with his wife and 10 kids. Please welcome Sean Walls. Appreciate your time today, Sean. Yeah, thank you, Javier. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I know you're you're a busy man, so you know I appreciate you carving out some time to kind of have this discussion and then you know help the audience with some insights. So I'm going to start our our discussion today with a statistic from Poneman Institute. They revealed that 63% of businesses said they could not prevent cyber attacks because of insufficient in-house expertise. In your opinion, Sean, how can businesses tackle the skills gap? In, in, in the cybersecurity landscape, really to make sure that they're they're setting the organization up for success and, and really being able to handle the attack vectors that are coming at them. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a good question. And then you know, Javier, the uh, the challenge, um, the, the the difficulty that you just kind of outlined there is real. I mean, I remember it would have been 2018, 2019, I was reading an article about the shortage in the cybersecurity space, and um, you know, what they were projecting for a future uh, shortage. And at the time it was, like I said, 2019, I think we had a million person shortage uh, globally uh, as far as skilled professionals in the cybersecurity space. And they projected that to be around 3.5 million, you know, sometime around 2023, 2024. And, you know, I'm I'm living it. So I, I see this day in and day out. You, you have a business that's built around this. So you, so you understand the shortage too. I mean, the skill gap is real. Um, and there's no overcoming that. It's just a matter of trying to, uh, you know, develop a next generation, a new generation of folks. Um, and, and one of the best ways that I, you know, um, the, the, I guess the approaches that I take is to develop in, uh, you know, talent in-house. One thing I found about security is that, you know, if you've got a really strong technical background in, in, in one area or multiple areas, you can usually take a person like that that's got a strong a technical background or technical acumen and, and you can train them in security. And I, so, so I would say, you know, the, the best way to overcome is to, is to train and, and hire folks internally, folks that you have on your team. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's easy to hire a technologist, bring them on board and then help have them learn the company and so on. But there's added benefits. And I've done this numerous times already on my team and then previous teams that I've managed where we take somebody from a different department or somebody that's, you know, been a, a technical guru for some time. And I like those folks that have that overarching sort of technical background. So not, not just a server person, not just a route switch person, not just a cloud person, but somebody that's had exposure to multiple areas uh, or verticals within uh, within IT. And then, you know, teaching them the principles of, of controls, like, because at the end of the day, we're trying to, to manage the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of our systems. And so this is really just boils down to risk management through control implementation, through people, through processes, and so on. And so we can teach those. A lot of those are, are finite uh, to, to a large degree, meaning that, um, you know, there's, you know, from one framework to the next or one compliance 
you know, regulatory compliance uh, framework to it to the next. They're the same. They're just they're the focus on what they're protecting may change. So the controls are the same. The identity access management, the vulnerability management, risk management, patch management. I mean, all these programs within you know uh, uh, overarching or comprehensive security program um, really are you know are. Are, are, this, are the same within any one of these frameworks. So you can train that stuff. And so having somebody on your team that knows the organization that's been around for a while could be a, you know, a, a diamond in the rough, if you will, where you could actually look, look and, and grab one of those resources, you know, convince them to come over to the dark, to the dark side first. That's, that's maybe the, the most difficult part. But once you convince them of that, um, you know, then training them on how to, uh, you know, how to uh, protect various systems and, uh, and apply controls with adequate, you know, coverage and strength and process rigor. I mean, those things can be trained and, and somebody with a strong technical background would be, uh, you know, would pick that stuff up very, very quickly. So, so that'd be my, my first um, piece of advice, I would say. And, you know, there's other ways to, to, to get around it. I mean, you can, you can train folks that are already on your team. You need specialized skills in cloud, for example. You can train those folks, send them to training or set them up with a mentor or a coach or something like that. You can hire the expertise. I mean, we, we can outsource it to a third party. Um, you know, we, we, no, we could hire, and that's the best part of the problem is that finding those those skills are difficult. But we can outsource it to a to a third party contractor based on project work or staff org, you know, engaging your organization, for example. Um, you know, so there's there's ways uh, to to bridge that gap. And then I guess you know, if I if I was to, to kind of really dig deep and think about ways to you know to, to, to do more with less I guess you know to get the skills on your team but if you can't find the the right resources and, and have a full complement to your team you could look at investing in technologies that help you know improve efficiency so it sort of gets you out of the the tactical day-to-day -day continuously and pull you up into more of a strategic uh, approach to uh, to security so that, that gives you a bit more time to think about how you can further improve governance and improve efficiencies and, and free up time for your, res your your existing resources right so um, so, and then, you know, then above and beyond that, if we, I mean, we're going to, at least for me, I've been in a continuous state of, um, of, of lack, we'll say, from a resource perspective, human resource perspective, for my entire CISO career, you know, to be honest with you, always trying to, 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 to fill the team. And as soon as I get the full team, then somebody quits or something happens and, uh, and we're back to square one. So, you know, um, at the end of the day, you're, 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 we're, at a, we're at a disadvantage. We're probably going to be there for another 10 years or so before we get a next, uh, a few batches of folks going through and, and, and completing this kind of training and getting developing that expertise and getting that experience. Um, so in the meantime, I mean, investing in, um, you know, not just, not just the people, but also uh, the security is, you know, for the, for a large part, at least, at least historically, it's, it's, it's been all about preventing uh, threats, you know, trying to stop them at the door, not letting them get in. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when you're going to get hacked. It's going to happen to you. And, and if, and if you're, if you really have your eyes open and the lights turned on, you, you're going to see these, uh, at least att uh, attempts or these threats emerging on a daily, you know, weekly, if not daily basis. And so preparing for that inevitable thing. So developing, um, you know, the visibility, ensuring that you have, lights on the right assets, looking at the right things and seeing that threat develop in real time. So you can then have a, a mature uh, process 
to respond and mitigate that risk before, or that threat before it becomes a business impacting event. So there's a lot of ways to kind of tackle this, but you know, investing in your your internal resources, who, who you have on you know within the organization, would be my my first recommendation. You could also look at hiring people out of college and trying to train them. But I, I really, not to knock anybody from college or anything like that, but that's a that's a difficult uphill battle because you got somebody that's really you know green and and trying to learn a very complicated. Uh, deep and, and dynamic industry, uh, you know, just doing that in and of itself is difficult, let alone train them on specialized um, skills or security acumen and capabilities and so on is, is a challenge. So I, so I recommend you know, looking internally to, to see if you can pull some resources from other IT groups and, and train them. Uh, you, you could look at outsourcing, you could look at uh, investing in tools, improving efficiency, and, um, and then you know, just making sure that you have mature governance processes in place. So um, to respond to it. Yeah, there's so many, it, it's such a complex industry or, or, or you know, sector that you're in. I, I would say that it's, it's ever evolving and the world's changing so fast now, you know, it, it's really, uh, some, it's almost like you have to become a master at change. Right. And, and so um, that, you know, that's something that, that, you know, we, are very focused on is mastering change and proactively moving into the future. And, and you know, a lot of the things you mentioned, I think, uh, are really a lot in alignment with that. And, you know, from from that perspective, you know, if we talk about application security, uh, you know, how have you seen application security really evolve over the years? Since you know, you've been embedded into the security realm? Yeah, so I, I've been, I've been involved in application security. Um, Oh man, probably over 20 years now. You know, I was back in the day when when it was all based on a waterfall methodology, and uh, and and you would you know you would go from sort of the conception phase through design, planning, you know, coding, building, testing, and releasing. It would be like this sort of series of of steps that you'd have to go through, and if you didn't get in front of that at the beginning, you know, and build security into that you were pretty much done at that point because you would have to re-engineer, you know, an entire application, which could take months, if not years to, to really accomplish. And so the, uh, the, the nimbleness, I think, is one of the biggest things that's changed in application security. So we've got, you know, we've got that true agile sort of approach, that CICD pipeline, that, you know, continuous integration and, and continuous deployment uh, model now. So we, we no longer build the entire application and then release it in one mass release. We do it in increments. We get our, our minimum viable product. And, and once it's doing, performing the function that we kind of intended for it, we could add the features and, and capabilities later, right? And we could add them in, in small bite-sized chunks continuously. And so what that, what that does is that, first of all, allows us to come in and bake security into it, it during these release phases, right? Um, you know, so we can, we can do it on a continuous basis. But I think the most important thing is that it allows us to really, there's, there's a term in, in application security, it's called sh shifting left. And you've, you've probably heard of that. And really what that means is, is so you, if, you, if you look at, and I'm not sure what direction my hands are going here, but if you look at it as, as far as a series of steps that you go through to develop, you, know, you go through that sort of conception phase and you go through, you know, designing and planning and, uh, and then coding and, and building and testing and, and releasing and, uh, and so on. You know, if we shift to the left, meaning if we're going from left to right, we shift to the beginning. The, ideally, what you want to see is you want to see security embedded or at least part of that conversation at the very beginning at the design, the planning phase. So that we're thinking about security up front and then and then, you know, baking um, security into that pipeline. So if you think about, you know, before you actually so back in the day, what you do is you would. 
you build an application, you'd release it to production, and then you'd use uh, DAST or, or, or dynamic application security testing tools to scan that application, uh, do some, and maybe you do some system uh, vulnerability scans as well, just to see if the operating system's got any vulnerabilities. And that was really, you know, about it. And then, then some additional, more um, robust tools came out that allowed us to really manipulate the, the communication with the application, to do some fuzzing, to do a bunch of other interesting and cool things that allowed us to discover uh, vulnerabilities that were you know, that aren't known, for, for example, just the, the, the unique way that this application behaves. And, uh, and so, so now what we have is we have the ability to, to embed in our CICD pipeline uh, tools like SAS tools, which is a, a static application uh, security testing tool. So it allows us to interrogate the code, to look at the code before we actually even release it to production. So we get ahead of that. We get in front of that before it actually gets into production. And, that, and, and, and SDA tools are another good example, like software composition analysis tools. So a lot, lot of uh, a lot of applications nowadays use libraries from you know open source type libraries and, 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 and code snippets and, and a bunch of other things that save them time, make them more efficient so they can then you know pull those tools in and, and, and or that code in and embed it right in the, the application but what we what they don't realize a lot of times is there's small print uh, in the, the you know for these public domain uh, pieces of code that allow you know every anybody to look at it it means it's not your code it's owned by the, the public um, a lot of times if you run application you know run applications on, on some of these codes it, there's 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 T's and C's that say your data now, you know, so, so belongs to it, whatever's running through that code. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that we got to really be thinking about. But above and beyond that, you got to think that this stuff's coming from an untrusted source a lot of times. I mean, you, you get it from a trusted, you know, uh, location, we'll say, but the coder is somewhat ambiguous. We don't know who created this code. It's a, maybe it's a crowdsourcing sort of uh, group effort and a lot of people sort of contributed to it. So it, it, is it secure? Does it have inherent vulnerabilities? So having these tools that allow us to position ourselves in that pipeline before we actually go and, and release to production uh, is huge. I mean, I think that's a, that's a that's a huge uh, development. Um, I, I, I would say other you know another aspect or area of application security that's really changed over the uh, uh, over the say decade or two uh, is cloud. You know, just uh, the they're just the architecture of, of applications. Before it was like, you know, you'd have your front end, you'd have your back end database, you'd have, you know, in, in separate locations, one in a DMZ, one in internal network, maybe one in a separate trust zone, or however you design that, it was really just bare metal machines that were, you know, two or three in a, in a tier that would talk to each other and, and divide and conquer as far as the, uh, you know, the, the the workloads were concerned for that application. But, but now we're in the cloud and, and it's, a, it's a different thing altogether. You know, we've got so many, cool, innovative capabilities in the cloud, like microservices, the containers, serverless environments, of course, APIs have been around for a while, but you know, they're, they're you know, the heart for a, to a large degree uh, of, of modern day application development, right? The way that you kind of just develop a, a, a nugget of code, a core to your, your application, and then you have APIs going to all these different other locations, pulling in additional code or data or queries or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and so leveraging that, I mean, it gives it, it builds amazing efficiency into into how you develop and manage manage applications. Uh, and then and then above and beyond that, you've got a whole plethora, a whole host of tools at your disposal. I just mentioned the, the SaaS and the SCA tools. You've got API gateways. You've got WAF. WAF's been around for a while, but now you can apply WAF to not just your application, but you can apply it to your APIs. Um, you know, you've got you've got a, a ton of um, uh, of it's never ending yeah. sea of change. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, technology in general. That's why I say you, you mentioned earlier about you know people being used to um, the dynamic 
aspect of, of cybersecurity and technology in general, for that matter. Um, you know, I always tell people that if that if they're looking to get into cybersecurity or IT for that matter, but cybersecurity is my focus, obviously. Um, you know, I tell them if you if you if you're the kind of person because if your personality doesn't suit this type of work, you will hate it. It will absolutely drive you insane. Okay, um, so if you if you thrive on continuous change, continuous learning, nothing's ever the same. Every day is different, kind of thing. Uh, you'll love this this career. Um, if you are the kind of person that likes the same old routine day in and day out, then, then you might want to just uh, choose a different uh, path, you know, for your career forward. So. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it's something I really considered of getting uh, some training in the space because I'm, you know, I understand a lot about human science, right? It just at a very deep level, and and just applies a lot to this to this uh, realm. But I'm a, I've kind of jumped on the. Uh, you know the AL large language AI large language model train, so to speak. So I'm kind of deep into that right now. But but it but it applies. I mean, security applies to everything now. It's just it's uh, it's amazing about how complex it is and how fast it changes. Uh, but uh, but I mean, I'm gonna, I'm going to introduce the the topic of today's yeah, the, the, show. Right? We're already kind of deep into. Let me add one thing. So you so you hit on AI, yeah. and I think from an application security and just an application development perspective, the the, the next you know, big iteration, which we're already seeing is, is people getting uh, AI bots to actually develop their code for them. And we're seeing it all the time. We're seeing it, you know, across the board because it's obviously if you give them the requirements, they can punch it into an AI bot and, and it, it can spit out code in like 30 seconds. That's something that would take you 30 hours, you know, so uh, it's crazy. Yeah. So, so knowing where your code's coming from and ensuring that it's as secure is, is super important. So yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah. It, it's interesting to see how this is going to unfold. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's mind boggling. Right. And, and I always say that, you know, I'm, I'm a type of person that's constantly looking for the most innovative practices and tools and methodologies and being able to, you know, be proactive in, in continuously evolving our company, TechHuman, and and helping our clients to continuously evolve and get ahead of change, right? So that they can benefit from it versus being disrupted by it. But it's, you know, for somebody like me, I'm like blown away by how fast it's moving and how powerful it is. The the lame the, the layman person or the, just the person that's not really so deeply ingrained into technology like you and I are, uh, I, I can't imagine what it's gonna be like for them to just all of a sudden, everything's just gonna change. And, and it's it's changing so fast. It's it's mind boggling. Yeah, I used to, I used to try, tour uh, tour the country um, uh, a few years ago with one of my previous employers, and I would go around doing uh, talks on exactly what you're talking about the the emerging technologies and how it's going to disrupt society as a whole. You know, and, and not just AI, but uh, you know, AI, virtual reality, augmented reality, quantum computing, you know, uh, IOT, uh, nanotechnology, I mean, you just name it, robotics. I mean, these, and the thing about it is that all these different sort of disciplines and technologies are now, now starting to cross-pollinate with each other. And so, uh, oh, yeah. and so AI is combining with robots. It, yeah, exactly. And so, together. Yeah. And, and, and what we're going to see is we're going to see, you know, I really, in the last, you know, year and a half or, or two, working with ChatGPT, and I'm sure you work with that uh, quite a bit as well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, the the next year or two or three, based on what I'm seeing, is going to be unbelievable, dude. I'm telling oh, you. Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be absolutely insane. So yeah, so we're you know we're already, audience, we're already deep into this conversation, but the topic for today's show is managing cybersecurity in an ever evolving technology landscape. So we're already deep into the episode. We're diving into the challenges of application security, cloud migrations, and the management of risk around digital transformation efforts. 
Sean is already sharing, but will continue to share his experiences and valuable insights into the, into navigating the complexities while adhering to compliance obligations. So Sean, we've already talked about our interesting stat. We've talked about application security and, and kind of gone down some other rabbit holes because this is a very uh, hot area right now, and it's going to continue to be hot into the future and continue to evolve at a rapid pace. But from a governance risk and compliance perspective, you know, can you share any strategies or practices that will help businesses manage compliance more effectively and really like beyond just checking the boxes? Okay. So, yeah, so there's, there's an old saying um, that says compliance is the security. Um, and, and, and it's true. And when I say that, what I mean is that just because a compliance, a PCI, for example, or GLBA or whatever it happens to be, HIPAA, um, you know, where it tells you that you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to ensure uh, compliance with a particular framework. They might be protecting health information or financial information or credit cards or whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, and the fact of the matter is, is really, I, I view compliance really more as a, uh, the, the minimum bar, you know, if you really want to do compliance right, um, it, it can be a tremendous vehicle, you know, by the way, to get buy-in uh, from the organization to, you know, to get support and that, uh, that clout that you need in order to drive security priorities and initiatives. And so use it for what it is and, and then bake it into your security program. So um, meaning that, you know, if you've got, um, you know, a standard that, you know, for, for well, we'll just, let's, let's talk about compliance first. So you've got a, if you're, if you're a moderately to highly regulated organization, so you have multiple, more than two uh, compliance uh, frameworks that you have to comply with. Um, there, you know, what you want to do is you want to land on the lowest common denominator and you want to crosswalk those, those compliance requirements, meaning that you've got PCI, GLBA, and, uh, uh, and say SOX or something, Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, if you have those three, what you want to do is you want to look for the common controls that, that, Across all of them, and then find out what the strongest control is across those uh, compliance frameworks, right? And land on that, make that your your standard, or even better, because because you know you know PCI, for example, in three dot two dot one of the DSS, you know eight character passwords is the requirement for passwords, and that's moving to fourteen characters. But you know eight characters, I mean that is. Um, we, we should be beyond that at this point. So the next iteration is kind of kind of catching up, and so we're playing a little bit of catch up with with compliance. Where we're you know for the next iteration for auto of the DSS, we're gonna we're gonna require uh, fourteen characters as well as multi factor authentication for access to the card data environment, um, which is great. We should have done that years ago. You know, eight character passwords just doesn't suffice. You know, just basic password spraying, and or if you know if you get a, a local admin, you can pull down a SAM file and and then start you know pulling down all the hashes and then do brute force against that. Eight characters is really easy, really quick to to, to hack so or to crack. So, um, you know, so so managing compliance efficiently would be my first recommendation. You do that by getting one set of standards that that meets all your compliance obligations in one fell swoop. And then also number two, I would say to to you know, go above and beyond the, the the compliance obligation. So, if it says for eight characters, assess your own risk and understand your own organization and your uh, control, um, or we'll say protection level objectives. You know, what are your protection protection level ob objectives for this area? Identity access management in this case. You know, talking about password length. You know, maybe it's longer than eight. So go higher. Okay, then now you've insulated yourself for a number of years because when the regulation changes and goes to twelve, you're already at fourteen. So you're good. You know that kind of thing. So. Um, so I, I would say, you know, go above and beyond and, um, 
you know, I would say, you know, when it comes to being efficient at, and so if you're a highly regulated, regulated organization, you know, the, 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 the headaches and the challenges and the pain associated with uh, continuously being audited, right? And so if you can bake some efficiencies into that process by, you know, measuring once and using many, for example. So if you collect artifacts or evidence for one, com, you know, control framework, you know, archive that somewhere so you can reuse that later maybe, or at least the process that you took to, to get that, to gather that information, those, those artifacts. Um, there's there's GRC tools out there that you can you can leverage so governance risk and compliance platforms um, you know that allow you to to automate and to collaborate uh, around everything related to governance risk and compliance so it has a built-in you know risk register that allows you to identify your risk calculate and, and, and measure your risk develop um, you know corrective action plans or ways to reduce or treat that risk and then holds the the you know the stakeholders or the or the, the people responsible for ex, you know executing against that plan uh, accountable and and, and get, sends them automatic reminders. It's the same thing with the policies and, and, and managing those and, and then compliance. You know managing that entire uh, you know compliance calendar and all the, the the processes and the activities associated with compliance and having that one centralized location, making sure that all the uh, the resources that contribute to, to to maintaining compliance are part of that. That, that process, get automatic reminders, automatic task assignment, uh, a common repository for uh, gathering artifacts and sharing them with uh, with auditors and so on. You know, so there's a lot of uh, efficiencies you can get from from tools as well, right? But but my biggest um, piece of advice to from a compliance perspective and how to make that not just checking a box is to bake it into your security program. You know, is is to tr literally make you you got your security program with all your different programs underneath it. Bake compliance into it and go above, above and beyond what, uh, what compliance asks you to do. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it, it's so important to be proactive now with with the pace of, the, of change, right? And, and, you know, what we were just talking about with the advancements in large language models and the accessibility of all this technology and APIs and all these tools that are now at our fingertips, it's almost hard for us to comprehend what is the threat security threat landscape going to look like in three to five years, right? Because it's evolving so fast and the bad actors have access to these tools as well. So they can turn these for malicious, turn these on for malicious purposes, right? Which then makes the protection of the organizations and just people in general, it, it makes it more, more challenging. Yeah, so I, it's interesting to see how this is going to play. Yeah, out well, I think we're, sure. we're going to see, and if, if we're not already in it, we're going to see a, a technology arms race between threat actors and you know the, the red team versus the blue team, for example. Um, you know, so so AI, you know, threat agents, threat actors are already leveraging AI, and it's it's they have been for some time. You know, it's to, to automate scans, to to automate the discovery of high value targets, for example. Um, but we're not seeing it completely autonomous at this point. I mean, once you know, they, they might be able to get a foothold in a system, and then they have to hand it off to a handler who then pivots, moves laterally, searches, scans the internal network, and 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 goes. You know, looks for the, the the crown jewels, but it's not that far away. And, and if it's if it, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's already happening. To be honest with you, that where we've got fully autonomous AI, through, you know, attack bots, you know, um, that are they're able to not only to, to basically you just set the parameters and say this is the target, this is the scope. This is the the objective, and, and you're able to program it like that, and then then it can go in there, it can discover the systems, it can find the vulnerabilities, it could get a foothold, it could identify high value targets, it could then you know go deep and wide into your network, pivot, move laterally, find the the crown jewels, export them, you know, in a matter of seconds, you know, so so. 
24 so, seven. Exactly. And so if, if, if threat yeah. actors and threat agents are <laughs> operating at the speed of the wire, you know, we need to be able to operate because a, a human's never going to be able to, by the time you discover that that happened, they're already gone. They, they've already taken what they, they came for and they're out. So he, the human factor, you know, is always going to play some, some role, but, um, you know, having, a, you know, AI fighting AI is what we're going to end up having. And, uh, and, and we already have that to some degree, you know, with, with EDR tools and deception technologies and, uh, you know, network detection and response capabilities. Like a lot of these have already have AI and machine learning in, in baked, you know, baked in them. And they have for a number of years. And it's actually coming to, to maturity at this point where, you know, these things are actually impressive at this point, you know. Yeah, it's it's mind boggling. And, and you know, you mentioned the, the human component, right? And of course, as tech human, that's, that's what we're about is the human science component. And so anything technology centric or organizational, you know, organization wide, but, but from a from an human error focus, right, you know, we both know, and a lot of the listeners are going to know that the vast majority of issues with having to do with cybersecurity is really coming from the human. It's a significant factor in cybersecurity breaches. You know, in your opinion, how can companies really manage to this risk while they're, you know, moving to the cloud or just operating in general? Okay. Um, so specific, you want, you want to talk about cloud or do you want to talk about just in general? Let's talk about cloud. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's focus yeah, on so, cloud. So I, I would agree with you on that. I uh, agree with you on, on your entire premise, as a matter of fact. Uh, so, so humans, um, you know, can be either your, your, your biggest threat or, or your, your greatest ally, you know. And so, so and, and from a cloud perspective, the number one cause of, of, of cloud-related breaches is human, is the administrative error, you know, accidentally spinning up an EC2 instance, for example, and having it exposed to the internet without any sort of controls, just accidentally, not, you didn't intend to do that. So, so I would say, you know, one way to mitigate this is to, first, first of all, train, you know, I, I've worked for a, number of organizations who really, you know, so some did good and some didn't, you know, did, did that well and some didn't do it well, meaning that they, you know, they didn't give the, the proper adequate training. And if you can't find the skills, you can't hire those skills, you need to develop them in-house. And so you got to get folks, if you're going to AWS or Google or Microsoft, wherever your, your, your cloud of choice is, make sure you have resources that are trained. They understand, you know, the, the proper way to architect, the proper way to secure, the proper way to configure, the, the proper way to, to, to automate and make sure that they go through proper training. And you know, and then as you're moving to the cloud, I think you need to, um, you need to plan, you need to plan, 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 you know, not everything has to go to the cloud unless you, unless you have a, uh, some business driver that, that says that you're, you're going to be a cloud only organization, which I, you know, within, you know, five, 10 years, that'll be the case. That'll be standard. Everybody will be in the cloud probably. But right now it's, it doesn't necessarily make financial, uh, or business sense to move everything to the cloud. You know, and, and if you're going to be moving to the cloud, you know, you got to understand why. What, what business value does that create for you or, or, or generate for you? Is it, is it cost savings? Is it efficiency? Is it, you know, uh, redundancy or resiliency, robustness of the system, the, the ability to auto scale, always on sort of capability? I mean, there's another a number of reasons why you would want to go to the cloud. But if you're going to do it, you need to define what those reasons are. You need to have a business kind of plan as to as to what you're doing and why you're doing it. A lot of organizations, what they'll do is um, they'll just sort of say, decide one day we're going to the cloud, you know? Okay. 
So they just start moving stuff to the workloads to the cloud and just lifting and shifting. And that it really gains them nothing, you know, except for moving from a, a, cap, a CapEx to an OpEx model maybe, and that's about it. Uh, apart from that, what benefit are you getting? And then a lot of times that might even be more expensive to just lift and, and shift. If you already own the building and, and so on, why would you want to pay the additional licensing and, and, and service fees to, to a cloud provider? But you know, other, other systems, if you move them to the cloud, okay, now you've got the ability to have auto scaling for CPU and for memory and for storage. Uh, you can have redundancy in different availability zones so that you know your application's up 99.999% of the time, right? Uh, so you reduce that downtime, which, which is a, a definite business value driver, you know, for most organizations, especially in retail. Uh, and, and healthcare would be a good, another good example. So, so think about why you're moving to the cloud. You know, get training for your teams. Make sure you think about plan, 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 why you're moving to the cloud and why you're not. And then, uh, you know, I think one of the, the biggest pitfalls, in my opinion, from a, a, a cloud migration, you know, has to do with, uh, you know, with resource sprawling or cloud sprawl or whatever the the, the, the term is, you know, um, you know, back in the day it was server sprawl, but now now we talk about it in terms of cloud sprawl, where you know you get everybody, anybody, and everybody that you know is is part of the organization gets. Uh, an account in in the, in that cloud, and they, they have the ability to to spin up workloads whenever they want. And sometimes they'll spin them up just for tests, and then they'll leave them up. And all of a sudden, now you've got a machine that was used once, sitting up and running, and costing you money every single day that no longer needs to to exist. It should be it should have been turned down. So having standards and uh, and policies, good governance in place. Uh, you know, is is important, and so you need to have an authorization flow. We'll say so. You you move a workload to the cloud. Maybe you have a, an authority to operate process that says, okay, you you, you first of all you request that the, to move that resource. You, you move the resource. It gets reviewed from not only from an architecture perspective, from a standards perspective, but from a security perspective. Make sure that the, the proper controls uh, controls are in place, and then it gets signed off on and turned on. Uh, and then you can put you know frames, uh, you know guardrails. We'll say guardrails are around the assets that you move to the cloud. And what this does is, is, is these are kind of hard-coded templates that you can leverage that say, okay, when you spin up an EC2 instance, for example, as in my previous example, you know, you move it to the cloud, it's automatically no internet access, no, no access from the internet in, we'll say. Um, that's the default. And in order to open that up, then we need to, um, you know, you need to go through a process to get approval for that and, and, and get that, uh, you know, get, get that, that port or that hole open in your firewall. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that, uh, uh, misconceptions or misunderstandings about cloud. Cloud isn't the, the, the cure-all. Uh, and if you're gonna to go to the cloud, uh, align it with business, understand why you're doing it and, and define what that looks like and, and understand the, the workloads that you're gonna to move to the cloud, why and how those are going to um, you know, benefit the organization. And my last point would be that, you know, if you are gonna to move to the cloud, consider some of the, the applications and, uh, and getting them to the point where you know they're they're cloud friendly. You know, so the the old, old school applications that I described earlier in our conversation, you know, those, those aren't cloud friendly. They can't leverage microservices a lot of times, or uh, or serverless environments, or containers, or or auto scaling of any sort. So um, if you're going to move a critical app, it might be worth your investment to actually de decompile that application, rebuild it, rearchitect it for you know, to be cloud friendly. Yeah, it's it's so important. I, I love what you're saying about that, right? And we have a, you know, we have some thought leadership that we've developed around 
about really taking a step back and really looking at things very holistically, right? And and we can you can apply this to a lot of different areas of pretty much everything, but but really if you're thinking about it from a cloud migration perspective or just strategy perspective, you know, it's it's understanding what looking at the overall organizational strategy, what is the business strategy, right? And then what is the sub strategy of the department, the team, whoever is going to be affected or everyone that's going to be affected by the, the business decision and then looking at that strategy and really, you know, poking holes in it in a sense, right? And then really understanding the team that's going to be executing on it, the team that's going to be operating it, the team that's going to be leveraging it, right? And understanding that team culture, which is a subculture of, could be multiple subcultures of the organizational culture, and then their ability to really execute on it, leverage it, right, for the for the investment, for the change, you know, look at, is there going to be added risk or where is the risk maybe going to shift to and really having a good understanding of that before you just go and make that decision to make that investment, right. And, and potentially increase risk or leave some holes that could put the organization in a bad spot. Right. And, and then from there, you know, that's going to help and, and really dictate the level of performance and the level of value that's going to come out of that business decision and and the uh the team's performance in managing implementing utilizing leveraging whatever it may be but it's so important that um you know we don't just make rash decisions and and really do our best to leverage in, internal resources but maybe outside resources of people that have been there and done that peers whatever you can leverage to make sure that you're kind of covering your bases and maybe learning from other people's mistakes and their wisdom to then, you know, move forward in a, in a more strategic yeah, way. No, so said. And I agree. I mean, moving to the clouds, a risky proposition needs to be thought out, needs to be planned and a hundred percent agree with everything you just said. So. Sean, so, you know, you of course are leading your division, your, you know, cyber practice there, and you have to have robust security measures in place. How do you balance the need for those robust security measures with, you know, your team's productivity, your department's productivity and efficiency? How do you, can you give us some insights into how you balance that out? Okay. So, I mean, I think if your team is efficient and, and, and productive, you're going and they're focusing on the right things and that would kind of be the definition of a, a effective and, and efficient um, and productive. So so I, I think that's step number one is for is recognizing that, you know, we need to be focusing on the right things. And, and a lot of times, um, you know, security teams, IT teams, just business teams in general, maybe spending a lot of cycles on, on things that aren't important. And so really understanding, you know, the, the business and what your critical controls are, what your critical assets are, and, and ensuring that there's, you know, there, there's at least some, a level of maturity um, associated with, uh, with the controls that you have in place. And when I say maturity, you know, for me, uh, I look at maturity maybe a little differently than some people or most folks. Um, you know, I, I look at from a control maturity perspective, that is, um, you know, I, I look at coverage, you know, so making sure that we have the, the controls in the right place on the right assets, you know, hundred percent of the time, meaning, you no, know, I'll give you an easy example. So, uh, antivirus, you know, you want antivirus on every, every server, every workstation, every endpoint in your environment, not 70% of them, not 80% of them, not 90, hundred percent of them. So make sure that you have the right coverage. And then, and then of course, having the right strength is, is important too. And, and this one's a tough one because, you know, you know, at the end of the day, we want to, yeah, we want a secure environment. Of course we do. But, you know, 
at, at what cost? You know, you, when you when you start designing controls, you got to think that the stronger your control, the more friction that creates for the business, right? And so, so ensuring that you have, you strike that right balance between the the control strength that's effective enough to to get the job done, to to provide adequate levels of protection, but also nimble enough and flexible enough to to allow the business to function uh th th that's important so having the you know coverage having your strength and then process rigor that's that's a, that's a part of uh, the technical controls that you know that folks often overlook you know at the end of the day we are managing these these things uh, you know these these tools the the, the, the governance risk and, and compliance aspects is there's, there's there's a an overarching sort of uh you know, CMMI sort of process maturity that you have to have in place. And so having process rigor on how you manage those controls, how you provide assurance to the organization that the controls are actually doing what they were intended to do. Uh, you know, so so take, take in, make it some efforts, we'll say, to um, to ensure that your controls are in the right place at the right strength with the, with the proper oversight and governance will help your teams to, to run more effectively and more efficiently, right? Um, and then you then you leverage uh, additional uh, capabilities like automation and uh, and so on to, to to streamline your team. So the goal, the 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 end goal, is really to to become less tactical and more strategic. And so the, the more you can do that, the more you can shift your energy and your focus from tactical day to day, which is a requirement. But if you become more efficient and you automate and you, you streamline what you do and how you do it, and you have process rigor associated with how you manage your tools, okay, now you've got some free time. You, maybe you free up a bit of time to, to start being more strategic and thinking about how you can do that even better and how you can, you know, then, then you can engage in an additional sort of, um, I, I wouldn't say less important because this is important, but a lot of times, you know, I'm thinking about threat hunting, you know, some, some of those novelty things that would be nice to do if we had the time, right? To go in there and actually just start combing through logs, looking for correlations, looking, you know, looking for indicators of compromise and doing a deep, deep dive and just trying to find those things that we didn't get alerted about or that were, that we, that flew under the radar type of thing. So, so when you start becoming more strategic through, you know, efficient processes and automation and so on, then you be, then you have the opportunity to become more strategic. And when you're more strategic, then you have the opportunity to become more strategic because you free up more time. And so it's, it's kind of a, a vicious circle. Yeah, and, and, and it could be also in the opposite direction. So just like the Northern Hemisphere spins one way in the toilet and the Southern Hemisphere the other, well, same thing. We, we can go spiral up and become more strategic and have be more efficient, or we can spiral down and become more tactical and less efficient. So, um, so it requires defining what your security program looks like. And a lot of a lot of this documentation, a lot of this governance, the governance aspects of security, a lot of times are overlooked um, by most organizations because they get they get caught up in the weeds and um, and and they, they just don't have time to, to to write proper policies or develop proper standards or to, to document their processes, to write runbooks and develop plans for you know for incident response, for risk management, and whatever other parts of, of security you, you should be focusing on, and. Uh, and so getting those ducks in a row really go a long way to, uh, to, to improving the productivity and the efficiency of your team while at the same time ensuring that, you know, that you're protecting uh, the, the right assets at the right level. Uh, the right level of coverage and so on. So, um, yeah, so that, that's what I would say. I mean, there's, there's, yeah. we can go yeah. on for, we could have a whole uh, podcast just on this topic, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. You know, and I, I've got to say something here and I'm, I'm going to do my best not to not to self-promote, but but I've got to say it. And, and so, you know, from a, the human science component, right? If you think about it from a marketing analogy, you know, when, when you're communicating something to the market, it, you don't want to, uh, what um, Donald Miller would say is you don't want to make 
people burn brain calories, right? And so if we can create an environment, a, a cyber team, a department, whatever that is, is automating where you can automate with those baked in security controls, right? So like you said, free up time, which is a very valuable resource now because businesses increase in demands, they're cutting budgets, they're expecting more with less, right? And, and so what we believe is that that human science component is where you, is, is a, a fairly untapped resource, right? And so we actually have a meeting on Monday with an energy company, and I don't wanna to say too much, but, but ultimately it's to plug in some sort of a technology that is literally eliminating the the if they were to plug this in it would basically eliminate the ability for some phishing attacks because it eliminates the need for a password in certain situations and it also eliminates the ability for people to duplicate some sort of an access vector right because it's it's tied in through biometrics and so just thinking about things strategically like that is you know, we know that human error is the vast 95 to 97% of all security breaches. Well, what can we implement that would eliminate that cap the ability of, for a human to make an error because humans are inherently inherently flawed in some way, shape or form, right? So, but, but these new technologies are starting to come out and we can start to kind of shave off and move the needle in the right direction and then potentially free up some time, you know, minimize the worry, the fear, and, and put those resources on a more strategic approach to then continuously increase operational efficiencies and reduce potential risk of certain attack vectors, stuff like that. So it's it, it's a crazy dynamic space and it, it, it's just, uh, it's fascinating to me about, you know, how that you working for such a large organization, like you have all of this under your responsibility and it's just, but it's just so fast and moving and dynamic. It's it, it's, it's overwhelming. Insane. Have you if you've ever taken a look online yeah. at the uh, the CISO responsibilities spider matrix? I don't know if you've ever seen that. Google Google it at some point. It's just was a spider map or mind map of the CISO's responsibilities, and it branches off. And like once you expand all the branches, and you look at the CISOs in the middle, here's all the domains of responsibility and all the different responsibilities under each domain. It's it's just it's a mind it's a, it's a, it's an eye chart it's unbelievable how much how many different areas that we're involved with you know most most IT groups you know they have a, a they're they're siloed to some degree so you've got the the server team you've got the endpoint team the application team you've got cloud team or whatever where security is that umbrella over everything but not only are we securing. Uh, you know, every single technology listed there and, and, and others, we're also securing the business. You know, we're securing the people, we're securing the business processes, we're ensuring that we're, the, the, the data is being shared with, you know, only those who should have, you know, maintaining privacy, sharing data only with those who have authorization to, to, to see that data. And so it, it goes right from everything from cybersecurity insurance to vendor risk management to securing every single type of technology that, we, that, that the organization has. Uh, to compliance, to privacy, to, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And not, not, didn't mean to go off on a rant there, but that is, that is the story of my life. Yeah, no, no, it, it is. <laughs> it really, it really is. And it's, uh, and it's not going to slow down. It's going to continue to, to get more and more complex. And, and it's, you know, it's something that we, we kind of focus on is we call cyber culture, right? Is that cyber culture ne needs to be ingrained throughout the entire organization because it, it's, it's just so important. And it's, it's, um, it's a growing, threat that everybody in the entire organization needs to be aware of and needs to be work together to make sure that you know everybody's moving together in the in the yeah, right direction yeah, so absolutely I'm a, I'm a big so, I'm a huge proponent of you know developing a uh, 
a mature security awareness and training program, you know, ensuring that uh, folks understand, so that folks are aware not only what not to do, but what to do and how to engage security, how to recognize a threat and engage security and be our eyes on the ground, you know, and, and boots on the ground to see things, you know, developing in real time. And then they go from being your biggest threat to, to, to you know, to a human firewall, like I said, uh, you know, so, so having, uh, having a robust security awareness program is, uh, is, is huge. Yeah. And I agree with your point earlier that you said almost all uh, breaches have some sort of social engineering or human comp you know, component to it. It's 100% true. So if you want to invest somewhere, invest in people, invest in training people, invest in security awareness and so on. And it's tough because, you know, humans inherently, they don't, they're adverse to change. They don't like to change. And it's really a behavioral change a, a lot of the time, if not all of the time, but, but it takes time, you know, and I've, I've learned this the hard way through my own transformation from childhood through adulthood and right, you know, kind of changing myself and transforming myself and behaviors and all this kind of stuff. But, but ultimately a lot of the training that I've received as well is I understand that at a very deep level from neuroscience, from coaching methodologies, everything, it takes time. And it, it's, you know, people have to hear things so many times for it to sink in, but then once they understand it, they then have to change the behaviors, which is very difficult to do. And so it's, it's a huge space that is extremely important because, uh, Things are changing and we need to stay ahead of the curve for sure, or at least do yeah, our best. You hit on a few up. very good points there. So security awareness training is not just that once a year sort of training that you go through. It's a continuous multimodal sort of approach that's just drill, drives that uh, the message home and keeps it top of mind continuously. And so video training and, you know, notices, newsletters, continuous alerts. If you see threats, notifying folks, rewarding folks for reporting a phishing email or something suspicious, you know, gamifying your, uh, you know, your, your learning endeavors, simulated phishing attacks, and just, you know, multi, multiple aspects of, 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 methods or vehicles or ways to learn and drilling it continuously. And, uh, and then it, well, one way to really kind of drive it home that I found works really well is, um, is making it re relevant, making it personal, you know? So, so when we talk about the security, um, of our organization and the things that they should do to protect the organization, we'll tie it back to their bank account, their credit card information, their online shopping, they're securing their kids online. And if you can, you draw a correlation there and it gives them sort of some sort of anchor in their own personal life and it, and it becomes relevant to them. Then a light bulb goes off. Is what I find, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody lives in their own little universe. Yeah. I like to say, and and it really has to apply to them. Or abstract, else otherwise, they'll yeah. externalize it, and you know the brain wants to shut it aside and be efficient and focus on what they that's care right. about most. So yeah, it's that's huge. So so Sean, we're we're coming up on closing here. What you know, in your opinion, what technology does the world need that does not exist yet? Uh, there's a lot of technologies. I mean, if I so I mean, you could you could think about you know truly cheap, affordable renewable energy. We could talk you know we go all day talking about that. I mean, that's that's top of mind. But if I, you know if I talk about it from a security perspective, I would probably I, I would say you know what I'm hoping that that comes about in the next say five years or so is that um, is that we develop AI to the point where you've got sort of a sort of a hive an AI hive. Um, where you've got a, a centralized platform, kind of an XDR sort of home base, and then agents on every single system within the environment. And then these, these AI bots are, are smart enough um, to, to learn your environment, understand what, you know, what is normal, what's not normal, and what are your high value targets, which ones aren't. But more importantly, that they understand and they communicate in real time amongst the hive, we'll say, we're just calling it a hive just for 
uh, illustration purposes. But you know, so so if a bot sees something happening, it, it immediately the entire hive knows about it, and it, it monitors and correlates uh, any sort of a attack vector or development of uh, of a threat, and and then has enough intelligence also above and beyond that to. Um, you know, to be able to dissect and understand what the kill chain is. And when I say kill chain, I'm talking about, um, you know, the, the steps or the phases that, a, that a, a cyber threat or attack vector goes through in order to actually achieve its objective. And if it can understand that and anticipate what that is, it can then kill it uh, in, in real time. And so we have, you know, we have some of those technologies now. We have some of these autonomous systems and their, their ability to, uh, to, to respond autonomously. The problem that we have today is that they're just not smart enough. They're, they're wrong too often, and, you, and, and people are hesitant to turn them into autonomous uh, response mode. So we're, we're not blocking things a lot of times, even in our IPSs, because we block the wrong thing. If we don't, to, if we don't invest in tuning the, the IPS properly, it, it may bl inadvertently block legitimate traffic. Um, you know, the same thing with uh, certain network detection and response platforms that look at your environment and understand what's normal and the statistic just uh, statistically tell you that this is a deviation from normal and it's 90% sure that it's malicious but it's wrong a lot of the times and so we don't turn on automatic that, that automated capability and having the uh, tool that does that I think would be a game changer for for cybersecurity and of course the threat actors will come up with another tool that, that you know circumvents that but if we can uh, if we can get a, an AI tool that um, you know that does that 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 is multi-agent based and, and operates in a, in a in a hive type network learns your environment just automatically and uh, and then has enough intelligence to dissect it, to, to to see an attack developing or a threat developing and and then knows enough to to to, to sort of anticipate what that threat's going to look like, what the next step's going to be, what the next target's going to be, what the next attack vector is going to be and then and then kills that in real time with a hundred percent you know, uh, accuracy or fidelity, we'll say. Um, I think that would be huge, and, and and we're not that far from that. I'd say we're a few years off. You know, uh, I went to Gartner this year, and, and and everything that they talked about was all AI. It was just that that was the the the, the core of the uh, the message there this year, and and I, and I anticipate that's going to be the case probably for five ten years to come. I mean, AI is going to change everything. So so is quantum oh, yeah. computing and so on. But yeah, yeah, that'd be huge. Yeah, yeah. Just hopefully that they can figure out a way to kind of embed the ethics and the safety into those systems so they don't just like go and do their own thing so to speak yeah it's, uh, and it's an that, interesting space for sure yeah that's concerning and uh yeah it's a whole different topic but yeah i i, I agree with you 100 percent. there has to be some sort of regulation but who regulates it and and because because then if you get the wrong people regulating that kind of technology you, you might be worse off than you were before just just let the market to develop it. I don't know. Is, is that, we don't know what the best path forward is, but it's certainly an uncertain path and a dangerous path and a risky path. And uh, but it's also exciting and and, uh, and revolutionary at the same time. You know. Perfect. All right, Sean. Really appreciate your time today, listeners. Be sure to check out Sean's work and follow him on social media. Website links and social handles will be in the show description. Before we go, Sean, is there any advice that you could give the audience? Any, any kind of a tip or word of advice? to help them that they could really kind of take action on right now to, uh, you know, move the needle maybe in their security career? Uh, for people to move the needle in their security career? Um, 
You know, just maybe just from what we talked about, just whatever you can think of, whatever's coming to mind for you. Let's not limit wow. it to what I said. Whatever you can think about, just some sort of actionable advice that you, you can give the audience. Yeah, I think uh, that the, the most useful advice I would give somebody uh, about cybersecurity in general is that it's not just technology. And, you know, the old school way of thinking, um, you know, back 15, 20 25 years ago was really that cyber security or it wasn't even called that back then just information security is you know is a technology and it's a firewall and antivirus back in the 90s we'll say uh, and then it evolved from there and you have more tools and so on but at the end of the day it's it's all about you know people following processes and leveraging technology and so invest in your people that, that would be my my advice is invest in your people uh, define your processes and and ensure that and then and this will ensure that you're getting the best out of your tools, I would say. And so train, coach, practice, develop career pathing. Um, you know, after all said and done, you know, security is, uh, it's, 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 a, it's about people following processes and leveraging technologies to manage risk at a, at a level that's, you know, commensurate with the business's risk appetite. Um, and, and, and just don't forget that human component. I mean, we're, we're always going to have that as part of cybersecurity. You need those eyes on glass. You need that expertise. You need that experience. Uh, unless AI takes over and we're all, we're all out of jobs. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you never know. But uh, invest in your people is, is what I would say. And, and security is not just a technology. It's, it's people driving those technologies to, to, to positive business outcomes. Yeah, love it. Love it. Definitely in alignment with our beliefs. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the future unfold. And, uh, you know, hopefully Skynet, or should I say Starlink, doesn't take over, right? Uh, <laughs> so, audience, don't forget to help your fellow tech humans. Share this podcast and follow me on LinkedIn at Javier Guerra 360 Sean, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate all your insights and, uh, you know, looking forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Audience, uh, have a great day. See you next time on the Tech Human Experience. The Tech Human Experience 